From Potomac Fund Management, this is the Conquer Risk Podcast. Join us as we discuss the business of running an RIA firm and the practice of investment management. And now, our hosts. Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast today. Uh, My name is Jeff Goodnow. Uh, Of course, I'm one of the norms on here. But uh, I'm excited because about once a quarter, we like to do an interview of uh, a portfolio manager or CIO, that sort of thing, from one of the strategists that's available on our Union UMA. So today we have Ethan Powell. Welcome uh, to our podcast, the Conquer Risk Podcast. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a good deal. We've uh, we've just started doing business together, and it's been exciting to learn. Uh, you know, of course, my responsibility, right? OCIO, go through due diligence. But part of the process here is to slow things down a bit. And to allow advisors the opportunity to have some of the interaction that, that you and I have as we learn about the firm. Because one of the one of the downsides of being an advisor on a multi-strategist TAMP is typically you get a performance filter. Right? You don't get OCIO capabilities or assistance. You don't get to talk to the portfolio management team. And that's one of the things we're, we're very, uh, we see very important is the transparency. So on that note, welcome, Ethan. Great to be here, Jeff. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things that we want to make sure, sort of disclosure, we don't talk about price platform or or performance here because those things are better left to, to have a one-on-one discussion about your specific needs, et cetera, right? All that blah, blah, fun stuff. Uh, but we're going to go through some of the firm CPR process uh, and have, I'm going to ask some of the questions. We'll see where it goes. Uh, but Brookmont, uh, help us out here. I know you are Brookmont Capital is available on, of course, InvestNet and you know, uh, and, uh, and some of these other places, again, like U- Union UMA. Tell us a little bit just basically about your firm. Who the heck is Brookmont? Uh, I mean, it's a great question. It's funny because it's hard to talk about the firm without talking about performance because that's really, I think, uh, <laughs> our, our bread and butter. But I'll do my best for you, Jeff. Stay true yeah. to the mission. Um, there you go. We, you know, we were founded in 2007. Um, I was introduced to, to Brookmont in 2010. Um, I was actually working at a large Dallas-based hedge fund and we were running about $40 billion and we hired Brookmont to run our long only uh, domestic large cap value strategies. Um, and I think it's important to mention that because and this is tangentially uh, performance related, so I apologize, but uh, <laughs> but if you look at um, what they were doing, they they and they and we still have uh, an upside capture of roughly ninety three percent and a downside capture of sixty two percent. And why that's meaningful from a hedge fund perspective is hedge funds are always coming up with these really creative ways um, with really really smart people of. You know, participating in the upside, limiting the downside, and um, we had actually never seen a risk return profile in a hedge fund strategy that was that was trading traditional liquid equities um, that had that thirty percent upside capture downside capture ratio, right? So it was approximately percent. Right. Anyway, I think that's core to who we are, and and Jeff, we accomplished that really in, in um, relatively simplistic. Uh, portfolio construction and investment philosophy, right? We low turnover, you know, we're roughly 15% turnover in any given year, long time horizons, three to five year right. time horizons are longer. Um, and uh, most importantly, we invest in strong and sustainable uh, dividend paying 
quality uh, domestic equity companies. Um, and, right. and that's really the, the crux of it. Okay, so let's let's unwrap this a little bit. So tell us how many portfolio managers or, or how many are on the investment committee team? So we've got six that participate on the investment committee team. So okay. We've been running the same strategy uh, for in, in Brookmont for over 13 years. Okay. And, uh, you know, how big is the firm? So uh, we're happy to say 2020 was a tough year, obviously, for everyone. But uh, we grew roughly $300 million last year. Uh, so we're close to $800 million. Um, Nice. Got six, yeah, thank you. We've got these six investment professionals. Um, we've got a few other uh, support uh, personnel. But what we try to do is do what we do best, which is uh, you know, analyze companies, construct portfolios, and execute on trading. But with 15% turnover, trading isn't a huge uh, point of differentiation. So we outsource to um, people such as yourselves, right, that, that really maintain the relationships with the direct right. investors. Um, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, so it helps to keep our operation relatively simple. Okay, so this is, let's go a little bit different angle here. We're still really, for the most part, on firm structure, which is the first part of my firm CPR piece. Um, tell us a little bit about the length of time uh, that you just handled direct business, and then sort of the impetus or the jump to become available on various platforms like InvestNet or, or our own Union UMA. I would say um, there wasn't a clean break. Um, you know, we still manage some direct relationships, um, mostly because we really enjoy the relationships and we like the people. We've been with them for so long that um, we have really a sense of obligation to them. Um, you know, it's probably five years ago, I would say, is we really made a concerted effort to not take more direct business. Um, and the rationale behind that, Jeff, was direct business really... Um, it's hard for an organization like ours to scale because for any relationship that we have, we want to have a meaningful relationship. We want to be able to jump on these um, webinars. We want to have uh, you know, uh, sponsor client events. We want to be actively involved in our partner's business and help them grow that business. And um, at some point, as you scale, you lose the ability to, to have those meaningful relationships and the relationships become much more commoditized. So I would say it's probably been about five years. Um, you know, we really pride ourselves in understanding the ecosystem in which we um, play, understanding what our clients need from us in order to, for them to be effective with their clients um, and, and making sure that we execute on that um, over and above just implementing our uh, investment strategy. No, that's that, that's a that's a great answer, and and frankly, it matches up with um, you know number one. It's part of the reason why our firms get along so well. Uh, but you know, I recall the first time I met Thurman, who's the primary contact person for advisors who want to learn more. Um, and it was, uh, it was just easy going. I mean, in fact, frankly, there'd be full transparency, right? We met in person over a beer at the, uh, down there in downtown Dallas. So, um, you know, it, it was just nice to see a, a group that is not focused on, uh, you know, pitching their product nonstop, but rather, Hey, you know what, you know what you do, you do it well, and then let the chips work, fall where they may. Um, uh, one last question in, in this, uh, space is, is there a particular thing? I, I've asked this question before, but what's the passion that drives the action? What is it that's sort of the driving force behind Brookmont doing the fundamental work to say, okay, well, we want to have this low turnover, easy for non-qualified accounts, individual security 
selection, and yet you keep it at a pretty low minimum. Yeah. There's a lot there to that question, right? One of the reasons why we like our SMA structures is because it encourages longer term strategic investors. Um, you know, we're approached pretty regularly about doing a non-transparent ETF or something else that's more listed and more tactically traded, which we actually agree with. And we think that's great for other investment philosophies and programs from our standpoint. Um, we kind of like the longer term nature of an SMA and the longer term nature of some of the relationships that we have, um, such as the relationship we got with Potomac, right? Um, so, uh, so, so that I think is a big, a big part of the structure of the SMA. We, we still love individual securities. I mentioned, I think we're highly concentrated with 30 or 40 best ideas. Um, we like to talk about how we are index aware. Um, so we're uh, plus or minus 5% of the Russell 1000 value, which is our primary um, right. benchmark. Uh, we have a, a portfolio construction discipline of uh, no more than 20% of any given sector. I know that's all boring stuff, but um, you know, I think it's, it's uh, instrumental in understanding sort of our approach uh, because we, we choose individual securities because we think we can still really deliver alpha um, by picking the best of the best within the various sectors by sticking to our core investment philosophy, which is not just dividend paying companies, right? Um, and one thing that, that we've struggled with over the last couple of years, the advent of this um, uh, uh, equity income, right? Where you've got these people that are in similar uh, spaces as we are that are really stretching for yield in a low yield environment. They're buying BDCs, they're buying MLPs, preferred shares because they're trying to hit some sort of an arbitrary yield target. Um, whereas we think individual securities, you can get a competitive yield and we, we, we have a relative yield in our mind of one and a half percent, um, versus yeah. the broader equity market. But, um, we really think that, that the yield is much more, um, uh, this a sustainable yield is much more indicative of a longer term total return. And that's what we're Okay. Well, we've we've sort of let, let's let's do this. We're we're let's go ahead and dive into a little bit more of the process and philosophy. Uh, even though program design and philosophy comes after, is a little out of order in my CPR process. That's okay. That's okay. So uh, help me understand this. Uh, one of the things that when I talk to advisors uh, as an OCIO and I, I start to talk about Brookmont uh, without going into the the actual performance stuff. So, so help me understand, is the drawdown side uh, something that you're actively working on or is it just sort of a side effect of choosing the good companies based on your fundamental process? It's more of the latter, right? And, and as we think about where we play from an asset uh, allocation standpoint, we think of the world in terms of highly speculative on one end, right? And today's world is dominated by talk of uh, you know, cryptocurrencies, GameStops, um, Teslas, uh, even some of the SPACs that are being um, yeah. on yeah. Um, is being highly speculative in some cases. And then on the other side, you've got contractual asset classes, right? So fixed income is a great example, right? You're contractually obligated to return principal plus accrued interest, right? And where we sit is kind of in the middle, right? And, and we think that uh, that middle ground it, it, from an asset allocation standpoint um, is, is one of the things that really contributes to our downside protection, right? We've got built-in inflation protection, right? Uh, so yeah. what ends up happening during periods of large, large draw, drawdowns, our, um, 
our relative yield gaps out, right? Because the price goes down, our yield gets very, very attractive and creates really a backstop um, to help us achieve that, you know, 62% downside capture ratio. Um, and so uh, we think that we, we don't do a lot of active trading in the middle of a drawdown to limit um, our participation in that drawdown. Rather, we really use our macro backdrop of where are we in the cycle? You know, what are we, what are we looking at um, from a risk allocation standpoint within our sector allocation? Um, and, and let that uh, macro positioning really drive um, the investment returns. Okay, uh, let's uh, appreciate that. Let's uh, let's dive into something else. You've recently done a name change on the two portfolios that are available to us. Can you describe a little bit about what the kind of why you went through the name change? And it's okay to go ahead and name the two portfolios. Uh, but again, I, I just want to want to help advisors understand because this is one of the things that I end up having to answer myself. Well, and Jeff, we, we did it because we believe that um, it is more indicative of the investment philosophy and frankly, is easier for you and your advisors to understand and explain, right? So um, our, our core portfolio used to be called the Dividend Equity Fund, um, which, as I mentioned earlier, people were getting confused with equity income, right? And so then immediately people say, okay, it's, it's dividend equity. Therefore, I'm buying it as a fixed income replacement, right? And that's not the case, right? So right. we changed the name of that fund to dividend growth. It's, so it's our dividend growth strategy. Because ultimately, A, we were always looking at, at strong, sustainable dividends and growing dividends. And you know, o- almost 50% of equity markets return in the last 100 years is attributable to dividend income, right? Right. So for us, it's it's more of one of the core reasons why you're in the equity space is that return of capital um, and the growth of your capital and the ability to sustain that return of capital, right? So dividend growth is what our what our legacy uh, dividend equity fund is now called um, because it's capital appreciation and dividend um, appreciation as well. Um, we used to have um, a fund that was actually ironically called dividend growth, <laughs> um, that we changed the name to um, quality growth. And um, that's the one place where we had a slight tweak. It, we, we never had in, in dividend growth, we never had a uh, hurdle from a dividend distribution standpoint. Um, but what we did there is we said, okay, we're gonna take the same dividend growth philosophy um, from our, our uh, anchor strategy, and we're going to apply it to free cash flow. And we're going to remove the requirement that they're paying a dividend today. Rather, they have the capacity and the expectation to um, initiate a dividend in the short term, right? Gotcha. And what we're trying to do there is we're saying, remember how we talked about speculative equities, right? We're, what we're trying to differentiate is this isn't a speculative growth equity. This is a core fundamental growth equity that has free cash flows um, that demonstrate that it is in the short to intermediate term going to be transitioning from a pure play growth speculative play into more of a value return of capital play. 
All right. Well, that, that, that is helpful. Again, you know, advisors sometimes see something or a performance filter or they might see, see, come across your name. And if they see any history, all of a sudden, wait a minute, they come across something that maybe has the older name. And I thought it would be good to put it on record uh, about the name change. All right. So as we're moving forward, right, let's, let's hit some of the basics very quickly here. Communication. Tell me a little bit about how you interact with advisors. Uh, you know, are there are there you know monthly newsletters? Are are, are they everything done via email? Is there an entire sales team? Hit a little bit of that in. So, so you, you mentioned Thurman, who is our primary liaison from the investor relations perspective. He's great. Um, we some of it is actually market generated, right? So last year we did a lot more publishing, a lot more outreach um, than we would in a typical cycle because so much was going on. Um, okay. And one of our core mandates is to keep people in the equity our equity markets. Um, and that's hard to do when you see, you know, massive drawdowns and then, and then you know, just, just volatility and, and just uh, fear in general, right? Um, so part of it's market determined, but um, we do publish a monthly um, video blog. Um, I think the kids call it a V blog or something. Herman <laughs> knows about that stuff. Um, so we so we do that. And we do a biweekly written blog, um, okay. and uh, we do quarterly uh, market outlooks. Um, you know, it, we actually will do write ups on um, trade rationales um, for those advisors who. I mean, we, 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 you know, 15% turnover, we do have the luxury of getting really deep into some of our names and, and um, providing really good trade rationales that, um, you know, hopefully arm you and your advisors uh, with the tools they need to have good, um, uh, meaningful conversations with their clients. And that's what, that's what we try to do. And then in some cases, people really just want the highlights and want something that's very approachable. Um, and, and we're happy to provide that as well. Excellent. All right. So I always like to ask this as the last question. Um, what questions should we have asked? Um, I, I think that the, I think, I think it, what it really comes down to is focusing less on yield, focusing more on um, what an attractive dividend and dividend growth rate means to longer term uh, performance. Um, and I think your advisors should really focus on that and, and, and understand um, why they hold this as a strategic longer term equity investment investment versus a tactical in a world that's dominated by tactical trade trades and, you know, thematic ETFs. Um, this is the one sort of strategy that we think um, should stand the test of time and be in a portfolio throughout the entire investment cycle. All right. Well, all right, so let's uh, we 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 did the important stuff. Now let's do the super important stuff. It's recommendation time. What Ethan? What do you got for us today? You know the drill. I made sure you had to have a recommendation. So what do you got for us? That a recommendation that it couldn't be financial related. So and I know Jeff, you were just in Texas and you're in Arizona now, and we're based in Dallas. And um, one of the things that that uh, crawls under my skin a little bit is when you talk about. Uh, ethnic food in Texas. The only thing that comes to mind is Mexican food. Okay? <laughs> and there's a Mexican food on every corner. And Mexican food is just a different configuration of rice, beans, tortillas, some meat, and jalapenos, right? And I love Mexican food. But I would encourage your viewers to consider Indian food, Vietnamese food. They have 
tens if not hundreds of different spices and combinations and each dish has a distinct role and is very thoughtful and has been in the culinary landscape for hundreds of years. Please, when you're going out for dinner, <laughs> consider something other than Mexican food. And that's in particular for our Texas and Arizona friends. But I would offer that to anyone. Yeah, well, Manish is clearly going to like your recommendation. Um, but but he's, uh, he's the opposite of the old uh, Life cereal commercials. And, and Mikey, who hates everything, Manish eats everything. So, uh, yeah, I, I have no doubt that he's, uh, he'll like your recommendation. Um, okay, so I'm going to throw in an old... I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of in this mode recently of, of old throwback entertainment. And uh, something that I, I liked as a kid, I remember playing with some of the, the toys that came out in, involving it, was Force 10 from Navarone. Uh, it's, Harrison Ford was a lead character. I, again, back in the early 70s, like, all these movies were just stacked with, with you know, major actors and actresses. And uh, it was just pretty cool. Uh, I really love that old World War II flick. So Force 10 from Navarone, that's a simple one. So if you like the throwbacks, there you go. You got another one from me. Uh, on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, certainly, we will release this, uh, and and you know, uh, we're excited to have others enjoy, share, give us feedback on this interview, uh, as well. The Conquer Risk podcast on our YouTube uh, channel is absolutely going crazy. So uh, we appreciate all the likes, subscribes, click the ringy bell, dingy thingy, whatever iteration you want to say. Uh, we appreciate that from our advisors and uh, and our field. So thank you, Ethan, for joining us. And we're out. Peace. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.